Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is the table of nations, and it gives us descendants, originally in verses 2 through 5, the descendants of Japheth, uh, one of the sons of Noah. Then uh, following that was the descendants of Ham in verses 6 through 20 second son of Noah, or another son of Noah. And then the third son we're going to be looking at today is Shem. By first, second, and third, I don't mean that this is their birth order, though. Um, We learned from chapter 9, verse 24, that Ham is actually the youngest of the three. So you can see I've got them on the board. I've listed them with Japheth, and then Shem in the middle, and then Ham on the right. The reason that I've listed that way, again, is not for the birth order, but just to give me room to list the other names that you see up there on the board. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah, chapter 10 looks at the sons and their sons' sons, and it goes on from there. And we're going to be looking at basically verses 21 through 32. It's a lot of names in this one again, and I don't want to inflict anybody with say, calling on somebody to read before you realize what you're getting into with all those names involved. <laughs> so that could be a little bit tricky. So what I've done, as you can see, I put on the board basically the names that we're going to end up running across in this in this section here. And I don't mind reading. I'll go ahead and read it, and you can follow on the board and see if I made any mis- mistakes up there. And so it has here, starting in verse 21, And children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Arphaxid, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxid begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almadad, Sheleth, Hazamaveth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Mesha as you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations, in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So like I mentioned, I've got them listed on the board, basically the names that we ended up running across. But now let's let's go ahead and look at a few of these and start to unpack some of this information. Starting at verse 21 then, and children were born also to Shem. Okay, that makes sense so far. We've looked at Japheth and Ham, so no, tr- no trouble yet. Children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. Do you see anything interesting? When you're looking at the board, at the family tree on the board, about the wording of that verse and where Eber shows up. Skip it, Eber. Skip it all yeah, you're skipping some generations. Eber's a little bit down on the list. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get to it. But for some reason, his name appears here. With some significance, it seems. It seems that there's some emphasis that the author is trying to cause us to focus on a little bit here. 
So the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth. By the way, mine says Japheth the elder, sounding like Japheth is the oldest, right? Older than Shem. Anybody else have a different translation that suggests something different? Steve, <laughs> does yours suggest something different? To Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth. Did you catch what the ESV yeah. has? It has Shem as the older brother. The phrase, the way that it's written there, can be translated either way. It's not clear who's older than the other. So that's why there's that confusion that who's older, Shem or Japheth. We know Ham's the youngest, but as far as Shem and Japheth, we don't know which one was actually the oldest. I would say if you had to quantify it, I'd say the arguments are slightly in favor of Shem being the oldest, but it's not conclusive. All right? The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Alphaxed, Lud, and Aram. Let's look at a few of those names up there. You'll see that I've got Elam up here. And actually, as you go through this list, you remember as we looked at the other list, as we looked at Japheth and we looked at Ham, we also looked at a map and kind of plotted where the families ended up being. Uh, when we looked at Japheth, you'll remember that most of those families, from the perspective of Moses and the children of Israel, most of these families were north, northeast, northwest, all right? So they encompassed an area that was basically north. At Ham, we looked at that, and it was basically Africa, Egypt, and then you had maybe a little bit of the area over here, especially when we were talking about the mighty hunter on the earth. Nimrod. Thank you, Nimrod. <laughs> it totally went blank right there. Yeah. So we would have looked at Nimrod and some of the descendants in that area. So we have basically this area down here and some of the area over here. Today we're going to find that a lot of these, of the ones that we know anyway, it looks like it's down in this area. Okay, It's in Saudi Arabia. And especially with some emphasis on Yemen for most of Joktans, uh, the ones that we know of in Joktan. There's discussions for a lot of these. Oh, could be here, could be here. We got this proposal of this place. Oh, we got this counter proposal of that place. So I'm gonna I'm gonna concentrate on the ones that are pretty much yeah everybody's kind of settled on on where those are. Okay, and you'll kind of see a little bit of a pattern as we go. So looking then at Elam, Elam is located in the mountainous region east of the Tigris Euphrates Valley, or for our purposes, modern southwest Iran. All right. So up here you've got Iran and modern southwest Iran. So generally, these, these are the mountains here that are being referred to. So generally, this area right here for Elam. The next one is Ashur. When you read Ashur right there, you can also think to yourself Assyria, all right? because what is Ashur at this point ends up becoming, uh, most people believe, Assyria. It says, along with the other cities, Ashur served as the capital of Assyria in northern Mesopotamia. Its territory was along the upper Tigris-Euphrates, or modern Iraq. So here you have Iraq. Arfaxid, not known for sure, Lud Aram. Aram is the ancestor of the Arameans or the Syrians. Their territory in the Old Testament covers the area from beyond the Jordan and northeast of Palestine into the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. So here's the Jordan River over in here. So it's basically over here, Tigris and Euphrates over in this area. All right, so again, kind of in Iraq. And then Aram is kind of interesting because as you end up reading through your Old Testament, you end up finding Aram is one of those names that shows up quite a bit. And it sounds like it's got its connection historically through this descendant right here. And then going on from there, verse 23, you've got Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Not a whole lot known about them, but it does say regarding Uz, Uz is best known as the home of Job. When you read Job 1.1, 1, 1. now there is some discussion, is that the same as we're talking about here? Now, keep in mind, though, we're talking about people. 
All right, we're talking about people and the places where these people lived ends up becoming known for the people that that live there. But people can move. So that creates some of the problems. So one of the things that we need to do when we read the list is just remember these are people and we don't really care so much where they live. It's just interesting to see where they live, but we don't have to nail that down because people aren't nailed down. People move. All right. So we're just trying to get a little bit of an idea of who these people were. And some of that is based on where they lived. By the way, we talked about this a long time ago when we started the book of Genesis, that the book of Job historically could be older than the book of Genesis. And that when you read the book of Job and it talks about from the land of Uz, that it could be referring to much the same as this would be discussing here. So you would have where is Job taking place? Well, wherever Uz was. Well, we don't know where Uz was, but it looks like the pattern's going to be in this area. That does sound kind of funny, does it? Moving on from there. The next one, Pull is disputed, Gether is disputed, Mash is undetermined, Arfaxid disputed, Salah uncertain. One of the things about Salah, though, is you end up finding this name right here coming up or showing up a lot in the names as you go through the, the ancestors in the Israelites, specifically through Judah. You end up finding that name showing up quite a bit. And then we get down to Eber, this guy right here. The one that the verse kind of jumped from, Shem to Eber, all right? Some of the interesting things about Eber. Number one, turn to Genesis 14:13. Somebody mind reading that verse? And one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the Terebinah trees of Manri, the Amorite brother of Ishkol, and brother of Aner, and they were aliens with Abram. Good job. Well done, Mike. No. <laughs> Sorry, I, did. no, no, no. I didn't mean to trick you or anything no on that problem. one. The I only reason I bring up that passage and the one that Mike read right there is you'll see that in that passage, as you were reading it, it talks about Abram the Hebrew. The Hebrew, that's the first time Hebrew shows up in the Bible. It's assumed that the reader seems to know what that means, but it doesn't show up anywhere else before this. One of the suggestions is that maybe Hebrew and Eber are related. Now, if you'll forgive me, you can see that I wrote here in very crude Hebrew letters right there, uh, Eber's name. And the difference between Eber's name and Hebrew is apparently something... Kind of like oh, that. Interesting. So there is a proposal that perhaps his name is what is used later on to become Hebrew. All right. There's not a consensus on this. I want to make that clear. Okay. It's just one of the points of discussion as you go. And it does seem that the author, as he's putting this together, seems to have a special emphasis on this guy for some reason. Perhaps that's the reason why he put some emphasis on it. All right. When I say he, I mean the author of Genesis. I'm referring to Moses. All right. <laughs> I'm giving him the credit. Um, I should make a little bit of a clarification. Moses could have been as much an author as an editor in this. It could be that these records are actually accounts that were given to him, and he compiled them and sewed them together, if you will. It also says regarding Eber that scholars are divided on explaining the connection between Eber and Hebrew. Possibly Hebrew is the gentilic form of Eber. All right. Next one. Eber ends up having two kids. If we go back to Genesis chapter 10... What does it say about them? There's something interesting that's said specifically about one of the two. Somebody might read in that verse in 1025. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Yachtan. All right, so regarding this guy, it says in his days the earth was divided. That's kind of strange. What does that mean? Again, this is something that it seems like at the time of Moses when he's putting this together, the audience that would have been hearing this account 
it seems like they know what the backstory is because there's no further explanation given. It sounds like a further explanation isn't necessary for that audience. Unfortunately for us, we don't know what the backstory is. So it's left to conjecture as to what the earth was divided means. Looking at it from a couple different ways, one of the proposals is that perhaps, well, his name actually, that word actually shows up in two other places. One of the places has to be uh, dividing for canals. So maybe it was irrigation. Maybe it was in his lifetime, irrigation was established. A second proposal, or another proposal, was that perhaps the earth was divided between the Pelagites and the Doctonites. No further explanation was given as to what that means or what that looks like. All right, so that's, that's two. A third one was that perhaps the earth was divided in the sense that there were nomads that were wanderers and that there were people who started to settle down and put down roots. Okay, there's a third one. <laughs> The other two, I think, are more interesting. The earth being divided, the only other time, like I said, his name shows up twice, and once it's to make rifts or canals or whatever. The word, actually, if you look in your Strong's Concordance, it's kind of interesting. It shows as a, a definition for this word is earthquake. Earthquake. The earth was divided. Hmm, that's interesting. What could that mean? So one of your proposals is this, that all the continents were one. And that that would provide an interesting conjecture as to if the Earth gets divided, you have your continents breaking up and starting to separate. If that is actually the case, that would solve some problems as to how did certain animals get in certain places that now have oceans between where the ark traditionally would have come to rest and those locations. Like how do you get land animals on Australia if Australia is broken away from where the ark came to rest? But if the Earth wasn't divided until this time, which we're looking at is approximately 101 to 340 years after the Flood. Within 300 years, I suppose you could have your animals going onto the different continents, and then the continents breaking up and going their different ways with the animals on them, going for a ride. <laughs> That's a possibility. The Earth was divided. And then another one, a fifth possibility, is this. The other place that this word is used has to do with the dividing of languages. Any significant stories that you might know of coming up that have to do with dividing of languages? The Tower of Babel. It's the very next story. <laughs> That's next week. <laughs> so there is that possibility as well, that it was during his time that the Tower of Babel story happens. Some fun stuff to track down and do some further studying on if you want to. All right. So five, five different options or proposals that I ran across as we were looking at that. His name, by the way, Peleg's name, it's a play on words with the word divided. All right. They sound alike in Hebrew. And also helps us to realize this was written in Hebrew. Because right? that play on words doesn't work in some other language. <laughs> Moving on from there. Joktan. Joktan actually means the younger son. So birth order here, we don't need to actually do a whole lot of investigating. It sounds pretty clear that he's probably the younger of the two. All right? The interesting thing about Joktan, he's got half of the names in this whole chart with him. You've got Almadad, means God is a friend. God is a friend. Selef, Selef actually ends up, as far as location, ends up being identified in the area of Yemen. Hazarmarveth, it says here, Hazarmarveth is the ancestor of a people settled in the Wadi Hadramaut in South Arabia and whose capital was Shabwa. Modern Hadramaut in Southwest Arabia, east of Yemen. So again, this is kind of a locale type of thing having to do with Yemen or modern day, as we're looking at our modern map here. The next one that we're going to look at here is Dikla. Dikla means date palm, but they don't know where it is. 
apparently they had a date palm grove there, date palm grove. Next one is Obal, right here. This guy, Obal, his name actually appears as Ebal when you look in First Chronicle chapter 1, verse 22. Abamael, his name means my father is truly God. Sheba, Sheba, you'll remember we ran across in another list. All right, when we looked at the names under Ham, we ran across Sheba. And the proposal was that it could be that those are one and the same person, and you have a merging of the lines there. Or it could be a different Sheba as well. And then moving on from there, Ophir. Ophir is famous for gold. All right, It shows up quite a few times in our Old Testament, showing that it's associated with the precious metal. And you have, during the time of Solomon, he's got, cargo, he's got shiploads of this stuff coming from Ophir. If you're a budding prospector, however, I don't know where Ophir is. I can't help you with that, but I can tell you the ones that we do know are down in this area, <laughs> all right? So it gives you a place to start, but I'm sure it's a lot larger than it looks here on the map. When you get down in that area, it might be a little hard to find. All right, also in the time of Jehoshaphat, we had uh, gold being brought from Ophir as well. Havilah is another name that was mentioned in another list. That was the Japheth's descendants. Same kind of thing. Perhaps there was a merging of the lines there. And then Havilah is most often identified north of Yemen in this area. So you've got a lot of concentration in this area of Saudi Arabia. Why doesn't Peleg have any names under him? Oh, great question. Why doesn't Peleg have any names under him? The poor guy, he just seems to be left out, doesn't he? He just seems to be all alone, like the emphasis is going somewhere else, huh? That's a great question. Can we answer it in just a few minutes? All right, thank you. <laughs> Good question, Bianca, I love it. All right, in, in verse 30 it says, and their dwelling place was from Mesha as you go towards Safar, the mountains of the east. We don't know, nobody seems to know for sure where Mesha and Safar are. So as far as their boundaries, it's not known. I mean, all I can say is the ones that are known, it seems to be Saudi Arabia. But as far as those particular two locations, it's not sure. And then verse 31 there, these were the sons of Shem. Do you recognize the pattern of this verse? It's the same as verse 5. It's pretty much the same as verse 20. After each of the sons and the, and the descendants that were listed in each of those groupings is given, it ends with kind of this same formula. These were the sons of Shem. The other ones, you know, these were the sons of Japheth. These were the sons of Ham. According to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. And you remember we've talked before, what does this do for us? It provides us a backdrop of people groups that end up becoming very significant as the story unfolds. All right, so it gives us a more complete picture. So when we get to the Tower of Babel story and we get to that dispersing of the peoples, we have some idea of who they are and also some idea of where they went. All right. Now, verse 32 rounds out the entire chapter by saying, these were the families of the sons of Noah. So it's kind of encompassing or providing a bookend using verse 1 as the opposite of that formula. Verse 1, if you'll remember in chapter 10, verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And now ending the chapter very similarly. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. All right, so it provides the bookends for the entire chapter. Now, Bianca asked a very astute question. She recognized that there's this name up here, and there aren't any descendants. I'm curious, though. Bianca didn't ask about Elam. She didn't ask about Ashur. She didn't ask about Lud or Uz or Hul or Gather or Mash. She asked about Peleg. She recognized that. It seems to be interesting that something's provided, some additional information is provided for Peleg, but we don't have any descendants listed especially when Eber seems to have some emphasis on him. 
I've got two different places I can take you to. I'm going to take you to 1 Chronicles 124. So if you're going through your Bible and you're not familiar where it is, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So we're going to 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 24. And you remember we talked about this in some of the previous studies, how 1 Chronicles seems to borrow information from Genesis 10 and puts it in there for the genealogy. All right? So a lot of this information is going to be the same information. We just get a little bit more information in this place. First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 24. Would somebody like to read that one? And let's read it slowly. Okay, Shem. Okay, so here's where Shem. Shem. Next one. Arpashad. Okay, this guy here. And Sheila. Okay, that guy there. Eber. Eber. And then the next one is Jokhan, right? Peleg. Oh, it's not Jokhan. It's Peleg. So 1 Chronicles is taking us the other direction. Hmm. I'm going to guess that Peleg's going to end up having some descendants we're going to need to write in here. Who's after Peleg? Ru. R-E-U, is that correct? Yes. Okay, who's after that? Serug. Serug, S-E-R-U-G? Yes. Okay, next one. Nehor. Nehor, okay. Next one? And Terra. Terra. Oh, dear, I've run out of room. I wish I could fit in one more name. Is there one more name? Uh-huh. Who's the last name there? Abram, that is Abraham. Oh! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Because <laughs> this is where we're going. We're following, we're following Peleg. Bianco is very astute in asking about Peleg. He's the line through whom the rest of the book follows. It's his descendants that the book is concerned with. Why would the author of Genesis chapter 10 not give us this information. Uh, it's in Genesis chapter 11. It's in Genesis 11, it's in Genesis 12, and it's a, yeah, it begins to unfold. He's not trying to tip us off too early. The excitement's going to be after the Tower of Babel story. So after the Tower of Babel story, he's going to end up giving us the same information with actually a little bit more. We'll talk about that as we get there in two weeks probably. All right? So yeah, what ends up happening is this is the guy, Abram, who becomes Abraham, this is the guy who becomes the focus of the entire second half of the book. It's him and his descendants. Do you see what's going on? The focus is narrowing down to an individual and his descendants. But that's been the case pretty much all along. Go back to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. What does it say over there? Somebody mind reading that. You're probably looking at it, and now you're looking at me, and you're going, are you sure you gave us the right place? <laughs> Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Excellent. Genesis 3.15. Who is the speaker? Who's talking? God. God is talking. Who is he talking to? Adam? No. Okay. The serpent. The serpent. Oh, that's right. How weird is that? But it seems like we've got some eavesdroppers in on the conversation because I don't think the serpent wrote this in for our benefit. <laughs> Somebody else wrote this in. All right. So it seems that for our benefits, we get Genesis 3.15, which seems to be promising there's going to be somebody coming. Remember this? From Eve's descendants, who's going to end up making things right? Who's going to end up bruising the head of the serpent? If you look at that wording there, I will put enmity, this is God speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, that's Eve, and between your seed, all right, workers of evil, and her seed, 
Mine has a capital there, by the way. Anyway, her mm-hmm. seed, he shall bruise your head, he, being the promised seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Is a heel wound mortal? No, it's not. Is a head wound mortal? It very well can be, much more than a heel wound, right? <laughs> All right. Here we have what's often identified as the original promise of the Savior. Okay? We, having the benefit of hindsight being 2020, can look back and go, oh, I know who this is. Who's the seed of the woman? It's Jesus. Jesus is the seed of the woman. Now, if you think forward from this time when the promise is made to the time of Jesus, you've got roughly 4,000 years. That promise has a fulfillment a long way off. Now, if you think about it also, you've got about 76 generations to go through from the time of Adam to get to Jesus. How likely are you to just guess? Picture the time of Moses, okay? At the time of Moses, the story's not done yet. You see what I'm saying? At the time of Moses, Jesus is still a long way off. He's still about 1,600 years away. How does Moses know whose family line to concentrate on? Do you see what I'm saying? We look back and we go, that doesn't look too hard. Because we look at Jesus and we count backwards. Or we look backwards at the generation. Well, who was before Jesus? Who was before that? Who was before that? Who was before that? And you go on and on for 76 generations, and you end up getting to where you can fill in these names. They don't have that benefit. Because the list isn't done yet. Somewhere in their future is a Messiah. How do they know where it's going to come from? If you look at all the possibilities, right? How do you know it's not from the line of Japheth? How come Moses didn't follow the line of Japheth and pick somebody over there? Or the line of Ham and pick somebody over there? How does he know to concentrate on Shem? And then of Shem's descent, how does he know to concentrate on Perfaxon? What is this like? This is like getting into a rowboat on the surface of the earth. And you remove all the land, except for one little spot of land that is big enough for one person to sit on, or stand on. And you give this guy a task. You're to row around until you get to that one piece of land. Oh, but here's the thing. you got to do it blindfold. You're going to blindfold. You're going to be rowing for 4,000 years. And when you're done, you open your, you take your blindfold off, and there's Jesus standing on the little one piece of land in the whole earth and goes, yeah, you found me. <laughs> you happen to find the right direction. You could have ended up anywhere. Or you get into a rocket ship, and you've disconnected the navigation system. And you're going to blast off, and you're going to go up into space, and for 4,000 years, you're going to fly aimlessly in the sense that you don't have the ability to navigate. And then you get to the point, there's Jesus going, oh, you found me. You happen to find the right course. You could have gone in any direction, and you happen to find the right course. When we look at the time of Jesus, and you look at the population at the time of Jesus, it's estimated to be about half a billion. Half a billion. And here's Jesus saying, I'm him. I'm the one. I'm the one you've been looking for. And the skeptics of the day would look at him and go, let's see, i got half a billion people right now I can consider. If the Messiah is even supposed to come right now, i got half a billion people. Does anybody have a better claim than you? I'm not sure. Do you meet the qualifications? Even if you decide, all right, you meet the qualifications, we'll accept you as Messiah. You're the one, the promised one. It's one out of half a billion. That's a pretty difficult statistic to match, right? One in half a billion. Oh, but it's not just that. To, to make this list do what it does, as you follow the line, you have to not only pick that one in half a billion, but you got to look at the generation before that and pick the right one. 
And then that generation, the one before that, and pick the right one. And the generation, for 76 times. You have to pick the right one out of all the population of the earth at that time. It, you go, well, it goes back and there's, there's a lot less people. You know, you go back and there's a lot less people. All right, let me tell you that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, then you got 400 years in Egypt, and then you end up having what? You end up having the Exodus and you have Moses. At the time of Moses and at the time of the Exodus, you still have 2 million people. <laughs> pick the right one. If you see what I'm saying, this is creating for us a line to follow that leads us to the fulfillment of the prophecy that's in Genesis 3.15. And the likelihood of getting there in this direction and guessing it right is astronomical. Mathematically, I, I can't give you a number of picking the right people to follow all the way to Jesus for 76 generations from Adam all the way to Jesus. Mathematically, you, you, I don't think you can put a number on it. But we look at back, back at it and go... Oh, Jesus, he was just this guy. He had he was one of a long line of descendants. Yeah, he claimed to be God's son. And you know what? I, yeah, I think I believe that. We're that smug that we just say, I believe that. When mathematically, there isn't anybody else. I mean, you look at the orchestration that's involved here. And what is the orchestration? It says God is involved in putting this together. This can't be done by human involvement. All right? You can't just happen to guess the right people to follow as it's leading to the promise, the fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. All right, sorry, I'm getting all excited. <laughs> Here's a heartbeat. <laughs> That's right. There goes my heartbeat again. <laughs> Excellent question, Bianca. And you actually hit the nail on the head. Peleg's the guy that the promise comes through. This is the line that leads to Christ. It's through Noah, and it's not through Japheth or Ham, it's through Shem. And it's not through Elam, Ashur, Lud, or Aram, it's through Arphaxad. And then it's through Salah and Eber and Peleg and Ru and Sarug and Naor and Terah and Abram who becomes Abraham. And through Abraham, all the earth gets blessed. He's going to be a significant character, especially in chapter 12. The end of chapter 11, especially starting in chapter 12. 13 is great, 14 is great, 15 is great, and it goes on from there. And Abraham becomes a focal point of, of a sort to tell everybody in the world, look here, because this is the direction we're going. This is the person who God is choosing. This is the direction through whom we're going. And we're going to get to the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Who is that going to be? Well, it's going to come through Abraham. We're going to look at him first. All right. So, wrapping this up then. We finally finished this big old boring list of names, right? Remember how I started this? I said, oh, it's just this boring list of names, and you read it, and you don't know any of the names, so therefore it's just really boring. If I read you a list of my relatives, you'd be like, boring. And then it would be like, uh, then I started filling some of the information. I go, oh, there's this murderer, you know, and I tell you these stories, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, I'll probably remember that guy now. And we do the same thing here. We're able to follow, and we're able to see a little bit of information as we go. So it's interesting for us only in the sense that we get little tidbits of information as we go. Trivia is what it is. But it ends up showing the big picture, impossible without God's involvement. Impossible without God's involvement. It's got the fingerprints of God all over it. And it happens to be leading us in the direction to the fulfillment, Jesus being the fulfillment of the prophecy that's mentioned in Genesis 3.15. All right, let's close that. <laughs> all right, praise, praise God. Praise God. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the marvelous orchestration that you've done behind the scenes putting this all together. We have the benefit of reading through it, and sometimes, Lord, forgive us, sometimes we look at it as just like a novel and we go, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Oh, that's uh, okay. I'm, uh. No, God, this is, this is your handiwork. This is your handiwork showing something that could have never been orchestrated by any person or any combination of people. We thank you, Lord, and we, help, we pray that you would help us to see it in that way. This miracle that we hold, this living and breathing and active two-edged sword that we hold in our hands, Lord, your word. 
thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God.